the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan. Let's go the distance by keeping our distance. Nissan, innovation that excites. All right, it's Friday, the sun is shining. I know it's going to rain tomorrow, but we're going to give you a little sunshine now because the final furlong panellists are with me on the line. Great pleasure to welcome back Steve Cummins, our comedian, uh, house husband and father of the year, Barbara Scully, wonderful catwoman, journalist, broadcaster, and Bill Hughes of Mind the Gap Films, who has fallen out of love with joggers, as we learned during the week. You're all most welcome. Now, I I, I want to start, before we, we, we get into any COVID stuff, uh, about asking my panel that something has caught our eye online. People are sharing pictures of themselves as 20-year-olds. Well, 20 was a lifetime ago for me, 44 decades ago. But do our guests remember what it was like being 20? The world was their oyster. Barbara, tell me, (laughs) 20. I reckon it was, yeah, I think I was probably 20 around about, well, maybe shortly after you were 20. Uh, 1982, I was 20. Um, I remember it reasonably well. I was working in the travel business. I was working for George Tours. You might remember the join the JWT set ads. We were uh, Ireland's largest tour operator at the time, and it was it was a time when when package holidays were really on the on the increase, when it was a very exciting industry in which to work. Um, and I worked in their head office most of the time in Bagot Street. Um, I did a stint abroad, and I was trying to think was I t- I was probably around that time that I did a stint abroad in the Canary Islands as well. Um, I did two winter seasons down there. Um, and yeah, I absolutely was love of life. Um, it was a very young company. So, you know, we were all around about the same age, you know, all in our early 20s. And our management team were all kind of 30-ish. There was a tremendous social life involved. Um, we earned um, Sweet FA, but sure, I'm still earning Sweet FA. Nothing changes there. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a great time doing it. But you know, you know those those films you see on Sky and other channels of people who go out to do summer work as a kind of host and an agent and all that kind of yeah. thing. And it is a life of utter debauchery. I'm imagining you for those two years in the sun. Did you behave? No. No, I definitely <laughs> didn't. There was absolutely no point in going abroad if you were going to behave. So no, I can I I I sampled the smorgasbord that was on offer. Cary Islands and uh, yeah I mean my biggest problem when I came back um, was the fact that I was probably near enough to being an alcoholic Uh, but by the time and I mean I mean I mean I mean that jokingly but I did you know develop every night is the weekend when you're working in a resort and people are on holidays and it is very hard not to to fall into that although we were socializing mainly among ourselves the reps all kind of stuck together but um and, and did did yeah, did did, 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 did have the impact on you that as you came to later life and want to settle down you felt you'd had a bit of a good time a bit of a fling absolutely. and so in your wild oats that you actually got it out of your system absolutely i did yeah absolutely i did um yeah yeah for sure, I did. I had a, I had a really great time, and I had a job that I loved. And I remember when I was leaving school because I actually was quite studious, believe it or not, in school. And when I got my leaving cert result, my father, who was a very conservative man, he was a, as he'd say himself, a senior civil servant, and he wanted me to go into the civil service. And uh, he he made me do the exam, and I got executive officer, and I wouldn't take it. And I said, no, I want to work in the travel industry. I actually thought I wanted to work for Erlingas. Well, I did want to work for Erlingas. 
but I flunked the aptitude test because I can't do those things that involves putting things together in spatially. Okay, so it's, and, it's nothing, uh, nothing only happy memories. Steve, what were you like memories. at 20? I was a fashion victim, to say the least. Just when I thought about this earlier on today, I had, and I'm not, I'm ashamed, I'm not too ashamed to admit it, I had a black leather fringed kind of John Bon Jovi jacket, which I thought made me look like a god, right? But I firmly believe that that's part of the reason why I became a comedian. One night, it's a very quick story, one night I was in Cheers Nightclub in Limerick. Now, Cheers Nightclub, to say that it was rough, but there was no joke, someone said the Alsatian, there was so much broken glass on the floor, the Alsatian walked around in flip-flops. It was just rough as hell. And I was wearing my jacket, I was feeling like a god, I was walking past the dance floor during the slow set. Now, I know you're thinking, if I look so good, why I wasn't on the dance floor, but anyway. Walking past, and there was a guy there called Bugsy Maloney. Now, if you can imagine how many Maloney's there are in Limerick, he was the only one called Bugsy. To give you an idea how this guy was quite a tough, badass kind of guy. And he's dancing with his girlfriend. I'm wearing my lovely fringe jacket with the fringes on the sleeves and swishing as I walk. I'm walking past him, and he just said, here, where'd you park your horse? Right? <laughs> and without a pause, I turned and I went, you're dancing with her. Right? Which was probably the funniest line I've ever come up with. As soon as I said it, I went, I'm a dead man. He's going to stab me. He's going to kill me. Right? And instead, he threw his head back, burst out laughing. His girlfriend, who he was dancing with, who I just called a horse, slapped him across the face, stormed off the dance floor. And he turned, he looked at me, he went, you're some comedian, you are. And he walked off. And I firmly believe that probably set in motion why I did this. I don't. Uh, Roisin, your producer, asked me for a photograph of me when I was 20, and thank God I couldn't find one. I was not a, I was not a pretty man. But I was working in the homeless hospital. It was the start, like it was 1990, so the 80s were over, things started looking up. So, yeah, I, I, I've got happy memories of 20. But, but were you a wild animal, a wild thing? No, not at all. I mean, I was working in a homeless hostel. I was with the AIDS Alliance in Limerick. I was, I've always been kind of a good boy. I turned more into an animal in my, in my 40s, really. Right, right. And, and, and the debauchery stage, Bill, you await? <laughs> well, uh, in 19, if, when I was 20, it was 1975. The pictures that I have supplied to Russian are all taken in my 20s. They're not when I was 20. But I just dropped out of UCD because I got a place at drama school in England. And I went off to join all the thespians and the bohemians at drama school. And I paid my way through drama school by working uh, as the night porter in an actor's equity hotel that was one step down from a knocking shop. And I have Sorry, to what, tell what's you, a knocking shop? Oh, please, Ivan, you've been in many of them and you've had the chicken dinners, I'm sure. But it was like... <laughs> <laughs> it it was quite a place and uh, let's just say the curtains were frilly and the morals were loose and uh, I had a ball and I learned uh, A to Z of what it was to express yourself sexually so it was wild and that was the 70s and that all came to a grinding halt in the 80s when AIDS came along and I didn't touch anybody for years because I was so terrified. But back when I was 20, I was a wild one. And I was a wild one exploring both sides of the fence, checking out a little bit of oil and a little bit of gas. And it was great. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, well, you don't lack for graphic detail. Anyway, tell me, tell me. And, and in a sentence each of you, starting with Bill, 
what would you advise your 20-year-old self now with the benefit of your life journey? Uh, stop worrying about what other people think. What other people think of you is none of your business. Just get on with your life. Barbara? That would be my big thing. Yeah, no, um, it, well, going back to the photographs that I, like in Egypt as well, sent to Sheen, so I presume they're going to pop up somewhere. Um, if, I, if I could talk to my 20-year-old self, it would be, it doesn't matter how much in fashion they are, perms are not a good idea. <laughs> I would have done that. Right. I've seen the pictures, I agree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Thanks a lot. Steve? Yeah. Steve? Well, I tell myself to get on to a stage. I didn't start, I didn't do stand-up comedy until I was in my 30s. And if I could do anything and change anything, I'd go back to me when I was like 20 and go, look, give it a go, you'll love it. Because an extra 10 years of comedy would have been great. Um... Just before we go to the break, we'll dip in and out of the current crisis. The two-kilometre radius, uh, it actually isn't in vogue in most other countries. It seems arbitrary, and it seems particularly penal on people in rural areas. Uh, Barbara, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it is ridiculous, um, to be honest. Uh, I think it's way too short a distance. Um, and it's very hard to know, particularly in urban areas, where exactly you are. I know the other night myself and himself went for a walk up a road that we'd never been in before. And we certainly walked outside of two kilometres because we kept going, well, let's just see what's around this corner. And let's just see what's up here. We were exploring the new area around Cherrywood. Um, so, yeah, I think that I think the two kilometres is a bit crazy, but I'm very lucky. Um, I have on my doorstep two parks. But again, I find that at the moment, the parks tend to be really, really busy. Um, depending on what time of day you go. But most times of the day, they're very busy. We've uh, Camatili Park, which is beautiful. And we also have Kilboggett Park, which is one of those places that used to be a dump, actually, going back to the 60s and the 70s, and is now a lovely linear park. And it has loads of playing fields. That tends to be a bit quieter. So, yeah, I'm missing the sea. I can't get to the sea because that is beyond my two kilometers. And you, you cycle as well, Barbara, don't you? I cycle on my bike, yeah. But I have to, I presume I have to keep within the two kilometers as well. So, um, yeah, the bike is great because you can, you can be out for longer and go further within the two kilometers on the bike. You know, you can go up and down. And we, we've great fun exploring roads that we've never been um, up and down before. Um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying all that. But as I say, I miss Dunleary. Uh, I haven't been to Dunleary uh, since the lockdown um, and since the two kilometres. And I usually am in Dunleary once a week. And I Dunleary is part of me. And it, I feel disconnected from myself when I can't get in and out of Dunleary. OK, Bill, we know you're in the advanced uh, party of those <laughs> believing in a police state. And we should all be <laughs> locked down. In fact, strapped, in, strapped in. My view is totally counter to this. I think it's all nonsense because, you know, where we're going to end up in September in this is maybe wear a mask, definitely keep your distance from people, definitely watch what you touch, clean your hands. And you know what, whether you have lockdown or not, you're going to have to observe those rules, whether you live in Texas or you live in Enniscorthy. So uh, uh, do you find the two kilom- kilometres oppressive? No, I, I'm blessed, you see, because immediately across the road, uh, we have the Memorial Gardens. So I have a beautiful place to walk every day. And then just at the top of the road, we have Rialto, and my butcher is there, Ennis Butchers, and the bakery. Rialto. Rialto. And yeah, you, th- you think that you, Rialto is a kind of positive place? It's kind of a rough place, isn't it? 
Are you kidding me? How long? I wouldn't stay too long there? in Rialto. It I has keep become moving. very gentrified. It has become very gentrified in a nice way. It had a long the way to go, but, though. <laughs> the best independent butcher, Ennis Butchers, is up there, and the bakery next to him. The, the cupcake blokes have a bakery next to him, and it's fantastic. You get brown soda bread, all the bits. All so right. that's right there. You can my do memories your of Rialto had a lot more going for it than that. Uh, uh, Steve, how is the two kilometres affecting you? To, to add to the misery of everyone else who's listening, yeah, I'm within two kilometres of, like, I'm 500 yards from a beach, and there's another beach within the two-kilometre radius. I'm blessed. I mean, we've got, we've got everything around us. We're very, very lucky. I really feel for people in the city centre. I would imagine if you're in an apartment in the city centre and you've got kids, it must be an absolute nightmare at the moment trying to get out and trying to exercise everybody. Well, no, I, we're blessed. I, blessed. I, I, I'm actually in the city centre every Monday to Friday, and you know what I'm going to tell you? Things are so quiet and so bad that shops that were open 10 days ago, pharmacists, laundress, convenience shops, people that are entitled to be open are actually closed because there's so few people around who wouldn't pay them to be open. Wow. Well, that tell you. They said that in Milan, if they, that a lot of shops won't open even if they do loosen it because they go, there's going to be no, one, there's going to be no footfall traffic anyway, so why would you have it open? All right, let, we're going to catch up on the news now with Eamon. My final furlong panellist, Bill Hughes, Barbara Scully and Steve Cummins will be talking to me. I'll be trying to annoy them. Just give me time. We have until seven. But now Eamon is back with a news update. Welcome back to the final part of the final furlong. We're with you till seven o'clock this glorious Friday evening in the company of my final furlong panellist, Bill Hughes of Mind the Gap Films, Barbara Scully, uh, journalist, uh, cyclist, cat lover and broadcaster, and Steve Commons, who really misbehaved at 20 and is a comedian and house husband. Now, uh, we, we, we wanted to talk about this proposal uh, uh, in relation to widening the footpaths. Um, uh, but uh, uh, in addition to that, uh, we've we, we spoken about the local areas. We had an email to the show from a listener who's concerned about the crowds in Mountjoy Square during the sunny weather. Hi, Ivan. This is from Charles. Driving by Mountjoy for the last week around 6pm. It's like a circus in the town. It's absolutely packed with people partying and socialising in the sun in large groups. Why are the local Gardaí not dispersing these groups? It's in your face and it impacts in our fight against the virus. It's a disgrace and the non-compliance with social distancing is being ignored. What are the Gardaí uh, doing knowing that this area is a high rate of infection? We need action or this will never be sorted. Oh, I have to go to you on this, Bill. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you just had to look at the horror stories yesterday in America and the protesters out standing, uh, all the wearing their MAGA hats uh, and uh, standing beside each other and protesting that they were being told to to, to socially distance. And uh, I, I think, you know, if we could look at that and be aghast yesterday, it looks like we're not able to look at ourselves and be aghast at doing it because where we live in Island Bridge, uh, the Gardaí the other night had to use megaphones to tell the crowds to disperse because they were walking in such huge clusters up and down Island Bridge, over the bridge, going into the Phoenix Park, coming out and turning to go into the Memorial Gardens. And I know that it's difficult and I know that it's hard, but it's like nobody wants to take responsibility for their own space. 
and I'll get all sorts of uh, the usual shouty listeners saying, how dare he and does he want us to give up? No, I just want you all to live. I want you all not to get this bloody virus and not to put any more pressure on our health service and uh, just do things that will keep you safe. So uh, any measure that is going to involve keeping people safe, I'm all for. And there are going to be so many changes that come out of the way we live from this. Um, I do think that the one place I'd look for is a massive increase in public transport. And if you have more public transport getting people from A to B, you don't need necessarily to widen the footpaths. You just need to give people a safe way to travel. But I and put it I, to you, I put it to you, because as someone who uses the DART and the 46A bus, that the most likely place I'm likely to pick up uh, was in the early stages the jam dart. London Tube has been the biggest spreader of it. I mean, oh, this has yeah. not been great for public transport, to be honest. No, it hasn't. And that's why I'm saying that coming out of this, there needs to be a major look at public transport and how it can be made better, how the buses can be more spacious, how the seats can be better separated, how the numbers that they carry go down, but the numbers carrying go up, that there are more better services that are more regular and that you know that there's one coming in five minutes you don't have to go out and wait for half an hour for a bus and stand then and and get yourself into all sorts of danger uh, the social distancing barbara and and this particular proposal in new zealand uh to widen the footpaths to facilitate social distancing well of course with no cars you can actually walk on the road yeah I mean, it's, it is funny. And, and had I read a proposal like that, because I know, you know, I mean, over the last few years here, there's been a lot of agitation that we need to make the city much more uh, friendly for cyclists um, in particular. And I would have gone, yeah, 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 yeah. But a lot of people need to drive because I would have always uh, been a driver. Now, I don't I'm not at the stage and I don't I don't anticipate I'll ever be at the stage. I've been able to cycle from here in Cavantili into the city centre without killing myself. But um I, you know, one of the great things about this quieter world in which we live is seeing so many families out with children cycling because the roads are so much safer. Um, and going back to your your emailer who talked about Mountjoy yeah. Square and, and to what I said earlier, when I got my beloved bike, which is called Sheila, I thought, OK, if I can just cycle on the cycle tracks. And again, I'm lucky. I We have Kilbogat Park here. There's a cycle track that goes all the way to Lachlanstown. I thought, yeah, I could get a good cycle in down there beyond the cycle track. I'm not dodging buses or junctions or cars or trucks. That would be safer. But actually, at the moment, it is far more difficult to cycle on those kind of cycle tracks because they are so busy. There's so many people out. There's kids, there's dogs, all of which is fine. But it makes it much more difficult if you're not a very experienced, you're quite a wobbly cyclist. So I much prefer now cycling on the roads because they are a lot quieter. So I think we do need to look at, as well as what Bill said, I think public transport is a bit of a mess. Um, and, you know, again, using the same kind of systems that you do, trying to get into the city in normal times in rush hour, using public transport is next to nigh impossible from this far out. Um, and have you observed so, um, any of the scenes like Mountjoy Square? To be honest, now again, I tend to avoid the parks around me that do tend to be crowded for that very reason, but I actually haven't. But it does bring me on to another thing, which I think I've been thinking about. I spent all day yesterday in my garden and I am not, I'm a useless gardener and I'm all into wildlife and letting the dandelions grow. I'm fierce lazy. 
but I spent the whole day yesterday at the garden and it was beautiful. And it made me think because I was having a bad day the day before that when I was, you know, I was getting very frustrated with the whole thing. And I mm. felt that yesterday kind of saved my sanity. The garden was full of bird song. You know, nature is still continuing on. It's a beautiful time of year. And it made me wonder, and going back to, I think it was either Bill or Steve said it, you know, if you're in an apartment with no access to an outside space, this lockdown is really difficult. It's not just people who want to exercise, but the, the nature is calling us all outdoors. And I'm, you know, I now think that the current, you know, the way we have developed our cities and our suburbs in the recent 10 years has been building homes with patios outside. That's all. And I honestly think that from a planetary point of view, from climate change, from wildlife, from biodiversity, we need to relook at that. And I know you're going to say, but we don't have the space, but it's not about that. It's actually about greed and it's about money. We need to be building uh, places for people to live where they have access to an outside space so that every apartment block has access to its own private area that the residents can use and that every home has a garden, not a goddamn patio. And that I feel really strongly about because when I'm out and about, as well as the people who are walking and doing your exercise, you have families with kids having picnics and sitting out and playing out, probably because they don't have access to an outdoor space from where they live. And I think that's something we really need to look at. All right, Steve, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, widening footpaths, um, disruptive groups. You have none of these problems out near swords or for, for scaries, is Rush it? Rush where I am. Rush, I mean, it's even no, we don't. Although what we do have is we've got... And I've seen them every day for the last week. And it's three guards on bicycles. And you see them in the most amazing places because they're going cross-country on these. Don't tell me they're drinking the cans as well, are they? Well, you know yourself, they confiscate a few. They've got to lighten the load. They're only on a bike. (laughs) But, like, like, I've seen them, you know, on, like, there's a Martello Tower near us. And it's basically a cross-country walk to get to it. And I've seen the the guards cycling along there because they're these Egypts. I mentioned them to to you before, actually, who were out with their model airplanes, grown men. And they were all standing in a group together, flying their little planes, and I thought it was a bit preposterous. But have we not all become little Hitler busybodies looking sinisterly at people? Just live and let live. As long as they're not infecting you, you just walk to the other side, Steve. Get well, over well, yourself. First of all, I didn't, I didn't, first of all, I didn't walk anywhere near them. Uh, my, my point is... And it's is not that affecting you. ...little man, that you need to play with your, toy, your toys. Um, I didn't mind. want to play with your little toy planes, do it. But stand six feet apart. I had no problem with that. Um, there, did you see that the British uh, chief of police in, in the mess or somewhere said, stop ratting people out, that people were complaining, my neighbour went for two jogs today. Like, I'm not part of this militant, we need, we need to rat out our neighbours. But I do think that if you see somebody doing something terrible, like or you see a massive group of people together or a house party or something, yeah, deal with that. But at the end of the day, we do know we need to stay apart from each other. But when it comes to widening footpaths, just in case this slips by and I don't get to say it, I think that's a stupid idea. I think already with cycle lanes, motorists are getting crushed closer and closer to each other. And it's harder. I'm always very careful. I'm not clipping a cyclist when you're going past a, a cycle lane. If you make the footpath another few feet wider, I mean, where are we supposed well, sorry, to go? There's a very simple solution instead of the ridiculous idea of widening footpaths. Walk in single file. Hitler had the right idea in Germany during the war in Jersey. Made people not walk two or three <laughs> abreast. Walk in single file. Let's move on to technology spend. Sorry, just don't want to pass by the fact that you just said Hitler had the right idea. The yeah. most Ivan Yates <laughs> quote in history. 
<laughs> well, the COVID drives me to, to insanity. But the, 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 the final thing I want to come on to, or, or one of the final topics, is this survey saying over your lifetime, on average, we're going to spend over 40 grand on tech gear. What are we talking about? Well, some people. Not looking at anyone in particular. Jess Kelly, of course, in the room. Here, uh, 21 mobile phones, 16 games consoles, 16 laptops or computers, 126 charging cables. That's not counting TVs or cameras. Is anyone else this disturbed or have, have sufficiently hollow, vacuous, superficial lives that they need this amount of kit? Uh, surely, surely, Barbara, you're not into all of these gadgets. Well, Ivan, no, I'm not. <laughs> this all passes me by. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm not a gadget person. I don't have, I mean, I don't regard an iPhone or a, a, a smartphone really as a gadget. I mean, to me, that's like an essential piece of kit nowadays, like your car. Fair point. Uh, or your bike. So I have a phone um, and I have a laptop for work. Uh, but that's it. I've no iPad. I've no games yokes. I've, I mean, our television, we've two tellies in the house and both of them I've recently discovered are rather embarrassing, apparently, uh, because we, my mother's staying with us at the moment. who has been quite ill and my brother, she's staying in, in, um, in, in a room where there isn't a television. So my brother brought over a spare TV that he had that they don't use. And when we looked at it, we all said that's about 20 times better than the TVs that we have. So, yeah, we're not at the races with any of this stuff. However, I will say I live with. There's four adults in our house, um, so there's four phones all the time. And my dearly beloved is very, very strict. When we get new phones, the boxes are kept. Uh, and as soon as then we upgrade or a phone gets broken or needs to be replaced, he will gather up whatever phones we have and he will trade them in. Um, so, yeah, but no, gadgets, no, not really. Well, as we know, uh, Bill, from remote working, from conference calls, video conferencing, and our whole kind of connection through Zoom and Microsoft Teams and so on. Uh, our world is being actually turned upside down in terms of being more reliant on technology as we're cooped up. What What's your favourite bit of kit uh, that you can tell us on air? Well, it would be my stick blender in the kitchen for cooking. <laughs> what is a stick, stick blender? blender. A stick blender for making soups and for making sauces. Or is that just an ordinary blender. blender that you just press it, no, the button no, and it buzzes? It is, it's, yes, but it's fantastic. And that would be my... Because I can honestly tell you that in all of my life, I've never had a console. I've never played a video game. I've never... I wouldn't have a clue what those video games are. They're just... Uh, they're just I'm, I'm allergic to them I think um, I love having a good telly and I love having a good sound system and I think they're important and as Barbara said having your laptop and having your smartphone Bob's your Bob's your uncle that's all you need I don't understand this need to have wires coming out of every part of you I digress <laughs> for one one second uh, which is that speaking of telly this Sunday night on RT, Saturday night on RTE One, there's a particularly interesting uh, program. Bill, there is um, the we are in the process of making a film with Eleanor McAvoy, and we will be working on it now because of the crisis. Uh, the 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 dates and the shooting has been pushed back and back and back. But in the meantime, RTE had commissioned orchestrated versions of a woman's heart and songs from a woman's heart and they did a performance 
at the National Concert Hall in a couple of performances in February and then they performed it down in Wexford in the Opera House and RTE decided to record it. So it's coincidental with the fact that I will be making this film about Eleanor and this is just a live performance that's going out on Saturday night. So, so, uh, so it, it, when you say it. a live performance, it's a recording of a live reco- concert, is yeah. it? Yeah. A woman's art. The, that was done in February at the, the Opera House in Wexford. And it's with the full Orti Concert Orchestra conducted by the amazing Gavin Murphy. And it's uh, Eleanor with Maura O'Connell and Wallace Bird. And they're singing orchestrated versions of the songs from A Woman's Heart. And it's beautiful. I was at the rehearsals. It's really beautiful. Do you know what time it's but, on on Saturday night at? I think it's late. I think it's 10.20. Okay. But okay. Uh, it's, it should be a treat. Okay, yeah. back to technology. Um... You, you, what, 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 you have a mobile, uh, Steve? I obviously have my mobile. My, to me, honestly, my TV is my thing. I've got a nice 4K TV and I'm always blown What's away What's a 4K by, TV? Yeah, just, with, just the quality, like, you know, because they film a lot of like, these Attenborough documentaries and stuff in 4K and they're amazing. But otherwise, I've got to look, I've a 16-year-old and soon-to-be 12-year-old and they're way ahead of me when it comes to technology and they're all into it. So that'll keep my, kind of, my hand in. But I'm not, I'm not one of these gadget-obsessed people who get, has to have the latest iPhone or the latest this, that, and the other. I like my phone because it's handy. I love my TV because that's my, my slobbing out time is just slobbing out in front of the TV with the fire on. All right. Final quick question. An online thread caught her eye. Readers were asked about the one horror movie scene that never fails to disturb them no matter how many times they see it. People like the uh, uh, final scene of the Blair Witch Project, uh, Poltergeist, uh, the head loss scenes in Hereditary, uh, the barn scene, the exorcism of Emily Rose, the shower scene in Psycho. Um, What does it for you in terms of pure horror, Bill? Uh, I go back to 1964 and I used to get a pass to go to the local cinema because we would show the poster of what was on in the cinema. Uh, and my mother, I would I would ask for the pass. I'd get the pass out of the till and go and use it. But it meant that from the age of nine and ten, I was seeing over 18s films and <laughs> they damaged me. So I went to one in particular, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, starring Betty Davis. And there's a scene where she's frightened by somebody at the front door and she turns around and a head comes rolling down the stairs. Oh. And I wet myself in the cinema with fright. I was only 10, 8, uh, and, and uh, that would never okay. fail to scare that, me. That certainly ticks the box, Barbara. Um, I'm a I'm a complete and utter Wendy. I avoid any kind of scary movies, violent movies, anything like that, because the biggest thing that scares me is the idea that I will see something that will upset me or make me feel ill. And once I see something like that, it gets imprinted on my brain and I won't be able to get rid of it. It's like, you know, downloading something by mistake that you then can't delete out of your head. So I avoid anything like that. But interestingly, Like, for example, I started watching Line of Duty when it started and I gave up a couple of episodes in because somebody was having his fingers nailed to the table. And I thought, oh, God. And I knew it was a great drama, but I thought, no, if there's going to be any more of this, that's it for me. I'm out. Um, But at the moment, we started watching um, about a week ago Ozark on Netflix, which is kind of dark. Yeah, Deirdre's addicted Uh, to Ozark. 
Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it is very dark. Oh. And we finished the first season last night and Sherwood said, right, that's it. I'm not watching any more of that. It's just too dark. It's a head wreck. It's not doing anything. And, also, and very surprisingly, I started to watch the second season myself. And I was wondering why I'm doing that. And I think it's because in this current crisis, it's great to be able to sit and watch somebody and go, well, sure, it could be worse. You could be running from the drug gangs in Mexico. We're not doing that. So I think that's why I'm watching it. Now, of course, you would only to go outside into the street in Limerick to get your own scare stories, uh, Steve, in your childhood. But is there any particular horror scene? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called my wedding video. <laughs> Whenever I look at that, I'm, you know, you're screaming at it. Don't go in the church. No, weirdly enough, one particular horror scene for me, and it's a bit like Bill, I was, I was a kid, and it was, as a family, we were watching Cycle. And it wasn't the shower scene, strangely enough, but I went into the kitchen to get something, and when I came out, and the whole house was dark, and the living room was dark, my mum and my brother had obviously gone to bed. And I walked into this living room, into this dark room, I was only about maybe nine, just the scene where he, they turn around, the wheel, spoiler alert, by the way, turn around the wheelchair, and the, the mother's, uh, skeleton is in the in the wheelchair it scared the shite out of me and what made it doubly worse was I ran from the room started running up the stairs and my brother was obviously waiting for me my older brother and he leapt out and he screamed ah and I backflipped down the stairs as well with the biggest fright of my life I managed to hold my bladder thank god but that's one just when you asked the question I was thinking I know I know that, that was, we ended Nightmare up Elm Street was another one that scared me we had we had your own incontinence horror story there. Uh, my thanks indeed to uh, you, Steve, a comedian, Barbara Scully, broadcaster and journalist, <clears throat> and Bill Hughes of Mind the Gap Films for being my final furlong guests on this Friday edition of The Hard Shoulder. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with Nissan. Together, let's play our part by staying apart. Nissan, innovation that excites. 